Welcome to Reality Church. My name is Carlos, and I am uh, the lead pastor here. And uh, man, where, where, however you got here today, I want to encourage you, wherever your journey is in terms of your faith and your spirituality, you are welcome in this place. We're going to read uh, the scripture in just a moment. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. And I'm going to ask Jezebel to do the scripture reading for us this morning. morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in this house. Um, Okay, so we are going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. We're reading from the CSB version. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land in Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have sought a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jezebel. So, um, you know, if, 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 you haven't, um, if you haven't been here, um, one of the things that we've done, like I mentioned earlier, is we've been walking through uh, the gospel of Matthew. If you've never read the Bible, I want to encourage you uh, to follow along with us, like, um, because it'll give you an opportunity to learn how to read the Bible. If you're curious about Christianity, if you're skeptical, like you can take a look and just open up a Bible. We can give you one at the end of service, or you can download a YouVersion Bible app, and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions, to take a look, and we can have discussions even after service. But today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4. And as I was thinking about this text, I, um, I meditated on just the power of the phrases that we hear um, early in our lives. They have such power of formation over us. The sayings, the phrases, I mean, they shape what we believe about reality. Haven't you been influenced by the words of somebody that were spoken over you? Haven't you been influenced by the words of somebody that that you loved? Or maybe the words of somebody that didn't love you the way they were supposed to love you? Even though we may want to escape being influenced by the context that is around us, our culture and any culture is the product of slogans, it's the product of symbols, and of the stories that they tell in a particular culture. Does that make sense? That's how culture is shaped, by stories, slogans, and by symbols. Can you remember some of the sayings that maybe you learned when you were a child? Maybe that your parents or um, whatever family members or teachers maybe spoke to you. Can you remember some of those sayings? I'll give you some, right? Um, Maybe you've heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't what? Don't fix it. There's no such thing as a free. Okay, Sadie heard that one. Amazing. Uh, Some of you are being introduced to that slogan today for the first time. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the. Come on, somebody. I see you, dude. I see you. Now, well, listen, I didn't grow up with any of those sayings because I didn't speak English the first 14 years of my life. <laughs> so for me, 
Um, I remember hearing this one saying growing up. Uh, it was camarón que se duerme, se lo lleva la. Okay, I see you. Here's what that means. A shrimp that falls asleep is dragged out by the current. You know what that means? You know what? <laughs> Meaning that if you lack initiative in life, if you're not intentional, then you'll be controlled by your circumstances and your culture. Um, this past Friday, I'm having dinner. Why am I bringing this up today as, as a relationship? Don't worry. It's going to make sense in just a moment. This past Friday, I'm having dinner with some friends. And for some reason, we got into this whole thing about sayings. And this person brings out this saying that, you know, is very well known in the Spanish world. It's this. Árbol que nace torcido nunca endereza. Here's the, what the translation of that saying is. A tree that is born crooked will never be straightened. I thought, wow, that's a really powerful narrative upon somebody's life. You know what that um, saying implies? It implies that if you are formed in, or educated in a particular way when you are young, then you cannot fundamentally change as you grow older. That's what that saying implies. And it makes me think about what are the beliefs and what are the stories that perhaps today hold us captive, hold our imagination captive, and that make us believe that we cannot fundamentally change. This may sound in your own head or in your own life like, I'm just not filling the blank. That story may sound like, I'm just not what? I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I am not smart enough. There are different narratives that because of experiences, because of different things that have happened in life, that lead us to believe that change isn't possible. But when we read this particular scripture, one thing that jumps out and one thing that we're going to see in Matthew chapter 4 is that if Jesus is about anything, he's about change. That change is possible. Change is actually possible for you and for me. And there's something fundamental about the nature of who Jesus is that brings about change. That brings about transformation, especially in the midst of situations where it feels like change is impossible. How? How does he bring about that change? And what does this text say about Jesus that creates and generates this change? Look at verse number 12 in Matthew chapter 4. It, said, it begins like this. Now, when he heard, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, if you're reading the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, you may look at that and you're like, ah, oh, whatever, dude, okay. You know, he's just telling the story. Um, he's just kind of dropping a bomb right here without us almost like sneaking it in. If you're new, right, last week we talked about Matthew chapter 4. We talked about the temptation of Jesus and the lies we have to face in order to overcome temptation. Here, Matthew continues to write this gospel account about Jesus, and he's telling us something striking. Did you catch it? John the Baptist 
The greatest man who ever lived. This is what Jesus says, that not Moses, not David, not Abraham. He says, John the Baptist, no one is greater than this dude right here who lived in the wilderness and ate honey and locusts, okay? This is the greatest man. He paved the way for Jesus' ministry. He preached the first message in the New Testament about the kingdom of God. And Matthew's telling us in this moment, listen, they just put him in prison. So can you imagine being like a part of this movement? The church is being formed. Christianity is starting. And then suddenly, like its greatest leader apart from Jesus Christ, they just put him in prison. Herod of Antipas, the Roman governor at the time, he, he's in prison. He's in chains. Imagine the sense of hopelessness. Imagine the sense of, man, I thought God was going to do this great thing. And, and here was our leader. And now they put him in prison. What are we going to do now? Right, what, what are we going to do? And, and of course, if we've learned anything in church history is that any time that there is an oppressor trying to silence the voice of the people of God, it seems like actually the movement of the church grows stronger. It grows stronger. It was Tertullian, a church father with an incredible name if you're looking for baby names, okay? Tertullian. He said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That in the midst of opposition, actually God does something incredible. And this great disappointment actually becomes the starting point in Jesus' ministry. It was like the first minute of the first quarter. But if you were living in those times, maybe you thought, man, the game is over. We, got, we haven't already started. But this actually marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Look at what it says right at the end of that text. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. He began to preach. He began to preach. Like, what are you saying, Carlos? I mean, this was like, this was the very first sermon that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew. After the imprisonment of John. What are you saying, Carlos? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is going to continue his mission regardless of the circumstances we face. Jesus will continue his mission regardless of the circumstances that we're facing. And that should create in us today, in you and in me, it should create two things, an unshakable sense of hope, okay, and an overwhelming humility. Unshakable hope and overwhelming humility. Here's why. Hope because um, there's been a lot of change around us over the past two years. I don't know if you know that, right? But 2020 came around. A generational change shifted. I mean, it was tectonic plate shifting. It was extremely intense. There were political pressures, social, economic pressures. There's been so much change. And that change has resulted in a lot of people being disoriented. I meditate on this. I think about this even. And I know some of you here like um, are college students. I think about your first experience of college for some of you where you graduated in high school and you thought, you know, I'm going to go to college and it's, you know, we're going to have welcome week and it's going to be amazing. And then what do you end up doing? You end up like just being in your dorm room, right? Taking classes online by yourself. It's been a change. It's disorienting. It's been something different. I don't know what that change has been like for you today, but here's what we learn in this text. Part of what we learn is that we can rest in the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his mission will continue regardless of the things that are going on around us. And that's really good news. But the second thing is that this should create, it should create overwhelming humility. Think about this. 
Matthew tells us in one line, he tells us in one line that John the Baptist got arrested and then he just moved on. He just moves on. John the Baptist. I mean, this is like a really important dude in the Bible. Matthew mentions that he gets arrested and he just moves on. What's the point? Well, the point is that this story is not really about John the Baptist. He's important and God uses him in a mighty way. But he's not the main point of the story, which means for you and for me, when we come across a text like this, we got to realize we're not the main point of the story. Life does not center around you. We're not the center of the universe. When you read the Bible, you learn things about who you are, but Scripture is not fundamentally about you. It is for you, but this text is about God. It's about who he is. And so how do you take this back into this idea of change? Well, listen, God is for you, but this life is not about you. And if Jesus is for anything in your life, he is for growth. And something that he will do as you read the scripture is he will lead you to grow out of being a consumer to growing into a servant. What does this text do? Man, it fills us with hope because we can rest in the sovereignty of God. It leads us to humility because we know that this is not about us. But then Matthew moves on and he's like, okay, let me tell you what this is really about. This is like the most important issue. Okay, verse 13, he says, Jesus left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the, sh- in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Okay. When you're reading the Bible, you get to a place like this. And you have to notice that there's something about the geography here that actually really matters. You know, God, (laughs) he revealed himself through the scriptures. And here, he's talking about particularly one place in chapter 4. He's talking about Galilee. Okay, everyone say Galilee. 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 In chapter 4, I want you to notice this if you have your Bibles open. Galilee's mentioned in four verses, in verse 12, in verse 15, verse 23, verse 25, okay? And perhaps the most important mention here is verse 15, Galilee of the Gentiles, okay? Galilee of the Gentiles. It's here on this prophecy that Matthew is drawing from the book of Isaiah, okay? I want you to follow me. Listen, there's a lot of connections here that Matthew's making. He's pointing to the Old Testament. He's bringing it back to the New Testament. He's saying something about God. It's something is being fulfilled here. Jesus is starting his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. And what was Galilee all about? What was this place, this town all about? Galilee was a place that knew a lot about darkness, If you read the history of Galilee, you'll realize, okay, here's what you'll realize. You'll realize that it was plundered by the Assyrians and by the Greeks and by the Romans, which meant that there were a lot of different people that lived in Galilee, okay? You following me? You can say yes, yes. Come on, look, so, so there's a lot of different people that live in Galilee. It's not Jerusalem, it's not Bethlehem, 
But a lot of people know Galilee, and Jewish people in particular, they look down in the city. It's not as religious. It's not as Jewish, okay? You're going to see where this is going. You're going to see where this is going. Because part of what we've been learning from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, from the genealogy, that's chapter 1, from the story of the Magi, right, is that Jesus came as a king not just to preach the good news to people who are Jewish, but he comes as a king <laughs> to preach the gospel for the whole world. And he starts his ministry in this little town, all right, in the city of Galilee, in this ethnically diverse area. How come, like he, he how come he doesn't minister in, how don't, he doesn't start his ministry like talking to the political elites, to the religious leaders, to the scribes. No, he starts in Galilee. And this prophecy, it's, it's very particular. It's talking about an unexpected location. And I want you to think about the so what. What does that mean, Carlos? And what does that mean for me today, right? What does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means the hope of the gospel, right? You already, I already showed you this, is available to all people, right? It's available to all people. If you study Christianity, you're going to see that even though the message of Jesus, it is radically exclusive, right? The Bible says that there is one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. You will also see that it is the most radically inclusive message as well. If you look at history, if you look at how Christians in the Bible and throughout the world, in every culture, in every context, can actually participate in Christianity, it blows your mind. It's incredible. So the hope of the gospel is available to all people. And here is what it means in regards to change, okay? Change is possible regardless of your status or your location. Change is possible. Change is possible. What does that mean? It means that God wants to meet you right where you're at today. He meets you right where you are. Sometimes we can feel like we need to be in a particular situation in order for change to take place in our lives. Sometimes we feel like if, if our environment changes, then I'm going to experience hope. Then I'm going to experience something inside of me. But God shows us in this text that, listen, God can meet you right now. In this place, regardless of what you may be facing, God has the power to meet you in a particular time and location regardless of what's going on around you. Regardless if you're facing economic or emotional hardship, God can meet you right now. He's not too far. He starts in Galilee. This is where he goes to recruit his disciples. This is where he goes. This is where he recruits his first leaders. It's in Galilee, out of all of the places he could have gone to, Jesus chose Galilee, not because Galilee deserved to be chosen. It wasn't because the people of Galilee were just so cool and awesome. He just chooses Galilee because he's fulfilling this particular place to show that he is the king, not only of the Jews, but he's going to establish a kingdom for the entire world. Does that make sense? So listen, here's, here's what I want you to see. Listen, Galilee is not only a place where there's Gentiles, but the scripture 
it shows us that it's a place of darkness. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of darkness. Look at verse 16. It says, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So there's these looming images in this passage. There's the image of darkness. And there's the image, there's the image of death. Darkness and death. This verb, it actually, it means to, the people have been sitting in darkness. You ever been in that place? Sitting in darkness. In the midst of that darkness, there's blinding light. And in the scriptures, we, we find this theme all over, from Genesis to Revelation, this theme of darkness and light, of light and darkness, life and death. Look at this. In the Gospel of John, we read in verses four and five, okay? Who is God? What's he like? Why is he about change? Look, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. When God's glory is revealed to humanity in the scriptures, listen, one main aspect of that is described as like radiant, blinding, piercing, pure light. On the first page of the book of Genesis, if you open the scriptures, you're going to see that it says that the earth was dark and it devoid of form and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over it. And the very first act of creation, the very first words of God are, let there be what? Light. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to this mount to do, like, to show them his glory in a, in a portion of the scripture that's called the transfiguration. And you know what happens? Here's what Matthew says. It says that his face shone like a bright sun and his clothes became white as light. Hebrews 1 Verse 3 says, like, it describes Jesus, and it says that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint on his nature. At the end of the book of Revelation, this is how the Bible ends. Listen, John describes this holy city where there's no need for a sun or moon. You know why? You know why? You can talk to me, that's fine. It's because God, like, like literally, the light is coming from God himself. And all of this grand and cosmic reality <laughs> and all of these verses that we're reading today, and I know, by the way, we're reading a lot of verses today, okay? All of this grand and cosmic reality, it culminates in Jesus Christ. And look at what he says in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is light, and light in the scripture is at least associated with these three things. It's associated with life, with truth, and with change. Life, truth, and change. And this great promise is that the people that were living in darkness, listen, gosh, they began to experience the light of Jesus Christ. Darkness, on the other hand, is associated with other things in the scripture, with death, with sin, and despair. 
death, sin, and despair. The people were sitting in darkness and they saw a great light. But just because we see the light doesn't mean that we actually want it. Just because change is possible doesn't mean today that you actually want to change. You know, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, probably the most famous that you see kind of like football players sometimes wear, you know, is John 3.16. It describes the unconditional, overwhelming love of God and what he did in Jesus Christ. But if you keep reading in, in John, John chapter 3, you get to verse 19. Listen to what it says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. May, may, may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So this prophecy, it speaks of people you know, living in darkness and now seeing the light, but it doesn't mean that they actually embrace it. Do you see that? They don't actually embrace the light. Jesus was killed because he was the light of the world and because this verse was true. Men preferred, men and women, humanity preferred darkness rather than light. And what darkness is he talking about here? What's Matthew talking about? What, what is the scripture talking about when it talks about darkness? It's not just the darkness out there and the terrible things that are happening out there and all of the different invasions that happen in Galilee. He's talking about also the darkness in here. He's talking about the darkness in here. It's, it's part of that, that darkness that the Bible calls sin. Sin, what is that? The actions and thoughts and behaviors that stand, like they stand against God. They make us, it makes us hide from him. That blind us to the truth, that leave us sitting in the dark, in the dark. The reason human beings love darkness more than light is because of the fear of being exposed. That's what the scripture says. Is there anything worse for a human being than for their deeds to be exposed? And listen, let me tell you, the last place you want to be is in the darkness. That's the last place you want to be. Jesus comes as this light to be embraced. He comes as a light to be embraced, but when that light is rejected, just to quote one scholar, he says, our destiny will be to be sent into the outer darkness where the light of God's grace will never shine. What is important to know, though, is that even in these passages about light, we learn that God didn't come to condemn the world but rather to deliver us from the darkness that we find ourselves in. So how is change possible? Change is possible because God has the power to deliver you from sin. And so if you're here today, listen, and you're doing, like, I want to encourage you, like, if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, if you're living in a way, okay, that is literally against God, living in sin, hiding in the dark, when the light of Christ comes into your life, or exposes something in your heart. What you're going to want to do as a human being, this Bible is very real about this, is you're going to want to reject it. You're going to want to reject it. And maybe you're going to think God is judgmental. And God wants to oppress my life. 
and close me away from my freedom when in reality what he wants to do is he wants to open your eyes. He wants you to grow, to deal with the real issues in your heart so that you can live the life that he's called you to live. That's why Jesus goes to the cross. He doesn't just tell you that he loves you. He shows you by being an atoning sacrifice for our sin. But he doesn't just show you that he loves you. He shows you that he has power. He shows you that he has power over death, over sin, over the darkness through the resurrection. So the light doesn't just expose your sin. It doesn't just expose what's going on inside of your heart. It also does a lot more than that. Listen, the good news is that his light, it actually not only invite, like exposes our sin, but it invites us into something else. And this makes me uh, remember, uh, you know, about nine years ago or so, my wife and I decided to take this trip to uh, Mount Zion National Park. Anybody ever been there? Mount Zion? Really cool. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Well, we didn't know it was actually better to get there early, okay, in the day. And so because it's a national park and there's not a lot of lights around when you're driving, especially in January when it actually snows in Mount Zion. So we get to Vegas. We start driving. We're having like an incredible blast. And, you know, darkness falls on the land. And we start driving and we're going up. And I'm telling you, I could only see like 10, 15 feet ahead of me. And everything around me looked dark. We could not see, like, you could, there are there supposed to be mountains, okay? And we were so pumped to see them. Well, we could not see them as we're driving up Zion. Because this is what happens in the midst of winter at night. We made it to the small lodge. We checked into a room. And even then, even when we checked into a room and we were like, we were literally in front of a mountain. We could not see it. The next morning came. The sun was shining. You had elks and deer, you know, all over. It was really cool. I'd never seen an elk before. And the moment we looked out of the window, we were struck by this overwhelming beauty, by the grandeur of everything that was around us. It was like it was an invitation to explore the mountain. It was an invitation into this journey of like, come check this out. This is amazing. Why don't you step in? Why don't you take a look at everything that is here, this beauty that invites us into a certain adventure? Well, listen, it's very similar what happens when we encounter the light of Jesus. It doesn't just like expose our sin and that's it. And you're like, oh man, look at everything that you've done. No, it's also an invitation. It's an invitation, right? So that not only to become aware of our failures, but to enter this glorious kingdom, this incredible adventure. That's why Peter says this. He says this in, in, in chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does the light do? Change. What happens is when you change in, in Jesus' name, when Jesus changes your life, the light delivers you into his glorious kingdom. When the light of Christ comes into your life, it's like going from black and white to technicolor. When the light of Christ comes into your life, it's like you were listening to life in mono. And suddenly, it's stereo. In fact, it's like Dolby. 
It's surround sound. It's amazing. You begin to deal with the reality. You see what unconditional love looks like in relationships. You experience a covenant community of people. You grow in your understanding of how to love people well like Christ loved people. You realize that God has a calling for your life, that you can change, that something has taken place. You are caught in something so much bigger than yourself, and you're just grateful to be a part of it. That's what the light of Christ does in your life. It exposes your sin, but then it delivers you into his glorious kingdom. And how does that happen? Jesus tells us in the first message that he ever preaches in verse 17. Look, listen to what he says. How do we change? From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. How do you have access to this light? How do you receive it? Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you know what repent means? Maybe you listen to that word and immediately you're like, oh, (laughs) repent. You know what the word means in Greek? To change. Change your mind, literally change your direction. When Jesus says, repent, he's inviting you. He is challenging you. He's saying, change, change your mind, change the direction of your life. You're walking this way and I'm inviting you. My kingdom is here. My kingdom has arrived. I have possibilities for you. I've died for you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to offer forgiveness. I want you to be a part of a family. I want you to have this future. I want you to be a part of this kingdom. And what you need to do to take that first step is you need to change and follow me. To change your mind. That's what it looks, that's what it means. It's what it means to repent. It's to change and go in the opposite direction, to change your mind. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to receive that invitation as you think about the different situations in your life, man? Maybe some of the darkness that is going on around you. I don't know. I don't know each of your stories. But what I know is that, man, in that darkness, wherever you may find yourself today, Jesus shines his bright light and change is possible. So here's what I want to invite us to do today. We're going to pray. We're going to sing in just a moment. And I want to invite you today. Change is possible. Jesus offers that to you through the power of the gospel. If you've been walking with him for a long time, and you're disconnected, and there's something that's going on inside of your heart, you know, your heart. There's a darkness that Jesus has exposed today. There's a sin or something. I want to invite you today to repent and to follow him, to take a step to walk with him. If you're here and you want to have a relationship with God, and you're like, man, I want to trust in him. I want to experience what you're talking about then I want to also give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite to come up. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing. Would you pray with me? Let's pray.
God, I, I want to thank you because you didn't come to condemn the world, but to deliver us, Lord, to save us. You, um, the Bible deals with reality, God, the reality of the human condition, the reality of where we find ourselves, and also the hope that we have in you, God. And I thank you today that we learn, Lord, that you have, like your light shines in the midst of the darkness, Lord, wherever we may find ourselves. That change is actually possible. That growth in our life is possible. That we don't have to be stuck today. I want to pray specifically now. I want to pray for those who today, as they think about their life, Lord, that maybe there's something hidden in their life, uh, some sort of sin or something they're avoiding, Lord, something that is keeping them from experiencing freedom. Maybe there's a stronghold in their life. Maybe something happened along the way in their relationship with you. I pray now today, God, that they would receive that invitation in your very first sermon, Lord, to repent because your kingdom is here, to turn from their sin and to follow you, Lord. If that's you today, if you find yourself in that place, I want to encourage you as we sing this next song just to talk to God. You are free from condemnation because of what Christ has done in your life. I want to encourage you as you sing, as the Holy Spirit maybe brings certain things to mind, to just lay that before Jesus Christ and experience his freedom and his truth. And maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't know what that is like and you're curious and you want to receive those words, the very words of Christ that are documented in the Gospel of Matthew that applied not only to the people of Israel, the people in Galilee, but that applied to us today. And you're here and you want to, and you want to say, Carlos, I want to have a relationship with Jesus and I want to experience the light. If that's you, I want to invite you, just as we sing, to talk to him and say, Jesus, I repent of my sins, Lord. And I ask you to have a relationship with me, Lord. And you talk to him and then tell somebody else at the end of the service. Why don't we stand now and let's sing this next song.